Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of LTS Quick Snaps, our little side hustle, where in this case, we're continuing to break down the latest pair of episodes in the ESPN 10-part docuseries, The Last Dance. Now, we want to take some time to thank our title sponsor, Domino's Hawaii, for its continued support of the podcast. We remind you that Domino's is now engaging in contactless deliveries to assure that your pizza gets delivered safely and untouched to your door. All right, with that said, what we like to do in these episodes is exhibit our top takeaways, uh, biggest surprises throughout the episodes, what we wish there was more or less of, plus some random observations. Jordan, how's it going, man? What do you think of these last two shows? Man, I I thought these were the best by far. I I know we'll get into some of the the structured elements uh, of our little quick snap here, but just off the top, I I thought this week was by far the best, especially episode seven, which I know had a lot, and we'll get into a lot of those, but but man, I, I enjoyed this week. Yeah, what's interesting is even though there are two episodes every Sunday, it, it feels like there is almost an underlying theme for each weekend overall. I think we finally got a much more detailed display of what Michael Jordan's inner competitiveness and inner fire was comprised of, what it was made of, what made Michael Jordan such a fierce, cold-blooded competitor. We saw it from so many different angles. Absolutely, right? It's what make what makes Michael tick to his core. And so much of that is just his personal background, right? The relationships he had built over time, none more so than the one he had with his father. And then this this innate drive. Like I, I guys are just have to be born this way. But I, I mean I wrote down maniacal, psychopathic. Like his competitive drive, I think, can be encapsulated in those two words. Uh, almost more so than anything else, right? I, we hear a lot of stories about guys working hard or guys who want it, like not like Michael. And, and, and you pair that with the God-given physical ability, how much work he put in to put his body in the shape that it needed to be in, all of this, all of that stuff. But his competitive desire, I mean, it borders on psychosis. Like th- it's crazy, right? Just how much he craved it, how much he needed to do that. And and the stories are there, right? This isn't some big revelation, but we really, I think, dive into a lot of it, how the episode ended, right? And I wrote down the quote because I didn't want to get it wrong. Look, I don't have to do this. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, then don't play that way while while getting emotional uh, and then calling for a break in the interview, right? And and I think it, it hit home when he was like, man, I didn't ask anybody to do anything that I didn't do myself. And it's like, that's so true, right? It's like, it's crazy. And to see him get emotional about that, I, I've, and I get it. It's geared towards Michael. And Michael signed off on all this stuff. But man, it just, I don't know. It's made me like him even more as we've gone through these four weeks. Yeah, it really is a side of Michael Jordan that we've never really seen before. We had heard it was there. We'd read certain stories and anecdotal examples of that fire, that competitiveness, and just how passionate he was about the game and about winning. And you saw that actually on full display in what was a different kind of emotion, a a tearful Michael Jordan. And yeah, we have the Jordan crying memes, and so we know that that is there Uh, But this was a little bit different. This was a different kind of display. And I think that that was what was interesting about these two episodes was sprinkled in there was some really genuine, authentic Michael Jordan inner emotion. The ending of episode seven, and you had the exact quote, but it was set up by BJ Armstrong saying that there was no way he could be nice. Like he couldn't demand what he was demanding. He couldn't aspire to the, the level that he aspired to if he was just a cool laid back 
kick it kind of person. Like he had to be that way. You don't want to have to apologize for being yourself, right? Nobody, no matter what walk of life, wants to sit there and, and hear your true self be critiqued and torn to shreds in just public discourse and to have to apologize for that um, in a sense. And I'm not saying he was apologizing for that, but, but to, to feel like maybe he had to apologize a little bit for being really, I think, his true self on the basketball court and really in life, it doesn't feel great, right? And I think you can see that emotion coming through. Because he even kind of commented on it, right? He, he said, hey, look, you know, that, that level of success, you know, that ability to win and win regularly, it comes at a cost. And, and you know, Will Purdue is going to be in this calling me a jerk because of how I was, but that's the sacrifice I had to make. I felt I had to make to achieve the level of greatness that I achieved. I had to leave a fiery, smoky trail uh, and scorched earth behind me en route to achieving all of that. That probably can feel at times pretty overwhelming, especially as you get older and later in life uh, with the opportunity to reflect on that stuff. Michael is held up, right? He, he is the image we remember from the Nike ads, from the Gatorade ads, from him on the court where he was invincible. And, and you peel it back a bit and, and you get some of the good, you get some of the bad for sure, but we really got, I think, deep into the core of, of what makes Michael Michael and, and, and seeing that, right, and, and losing a parent. Like that, that, is, that is something nobody wants to experience, but, but seeing how that all played in, how that tied in really to that stage of his career, right, the first retirement, the baseball try, uh, and then eventually working his way back onto the court and, and winning three more titles. So it, it's, it was revealing, I think, and, and that will make him as relatable as you'll ever see somebody who is a megastar like Michael Jordan be relatable. Yeah, this has humanized him in a lot of ways, even though this is clearly a narrative that is in part controlled by Michael Jordan, right? He is only allowing what he wants to be seen, be seen. I think that's very obvious. That's very clear. There are so many other areas of his personal life that we haven't even ventured into, whether it be his personal life, his first marriage, uh, even when we went through his gambling, uh, that was something that was more or less glossed over. So we're only getting the access that MJ himself has allowed. I think that's clear, but it's still a greater amount of access than we've ever had before. Uh, and so with that, I think we've shared some of our top takeaways of these two episodes. Uh, what were some of the biggest surprises maybe? Uh, what stu stood out to you in that way? Yeah, a couple um, that really don't have to do with Michael on the basketball court, but, but one was uh, the baseball experience. I don't know if I ever really realized he was sent to double A because they couldn't send him any lower because they just didn't have the capacity to handle the media swarm and the fans. Imagine if he was at like rookie ball someplace, uh, how much of a circus that would have been. Uh, but the 13 game hit streak to start, to start the season. I don't know if I remembered that. And of course everybody started throwing them breaking balls after that, but that's every decent hitter, right? As you work your way through any level of baseball, uh, but 13 game hit streak. That's pretty good. Hit 202 on the season. Uh, and then the other one doesn't have anything to do with Michael. It's the 94 season uh, with Scotty, and, and that's a pretty well-told story uh, with Scotty Pippen, the one point whatever seconds left in game three against the Knicks where they really need that win to get themselves back into the series. And he, he opts to sit out the final play because Phil drew up the play for Tony Kukoc, Tony Kukoc who ends up hitting the shot. Uh, and none of that is surprising. What I was surprised by was Scotty in 2019 or whenever they recorded these interviews. Um, saying that, yeah, he wished it hadn't happened, but if he had to do it over again, he wouldn't change it. And I was shocked by that. 
uh, because everybody they interviewed basically said, like, that's not Scotty. Like, they were so shocked, right? And Bill Cartwright is crying in the post-game locker room saying that, hey, man, you let us down. And, like, that was such a big moment in, in the course of that. But uh, I, I was shocked that he, um, he said he wouldn't change it. I, I thought that was, that was pretty fascinating. By the way, the 94 team was still really good. They were really Horace good. Grant was still on the team. B.J. Armstrong, Steve Kerr joined the team. Paxson was still on the team. Cartwright was, like, in year 92 or whatever it was. <laughs> I think that's his final year. Uh, Tony Kukoc had freshly joined the team. That's a talented team, and I know they lost to the Knicks. But, yeah, I was just surprised that Scotty said, no, nah, he wouldn't change it. Yeah, that was what I wrote down as my biggest surprise, too. What is he thinking that he wouldn't change that? Like, what, <laughs> in what universe would he, if he was given a redo or a do-over, would do the same thing? Like, that makes absolutely no sense. That means there was no lesson learned. That means there was no actual genuine regret if he is still here saying that he would – probably do things the same way. I think that just reeks of just kind of pointless stubbornness and pride. You know, I think he's a very proud individual and I think he's heard so much criticism about that moment throughout his career and of that decision to, as Steve Kerr put it, quit on his team. And that's unacceptable, certainly from uh, someone who has uh, attained that position of being one of the elite players in, in one of the most competitive fields in all the world. All right, so what were some of the things you wish there was more of. I have one thing and one thing only that I wanted to see. I wish they did a whole episode on it. And that was the pickup ball on the set of the Space Jam production where they had the Jordan Dome, right? They basically built him a whole court with hoops and they had like a little gym set up next to it so that he could get his workouts and his basketball in uh, during the production of Space Jam. Uh, and, and those pickup games, which just looked epic. I wanted to see that for like an hour. I mean, that's what I wrote down. That's, that's in bold on my notes because, I mean, come on. In a, in a makeshift gym, after 12 hours of work on the Space Jam sets, he, he got all these guys to fly to L.A., uh, and it's the who's who, right? I mean, it's Reggie. It's the, I mean, there are a ton of guys. Jawan Howard's there. Um, it's everybody in mid-'90s basketball. I'd also love to see, like, a roster of who was actually there because you can't really tell on all the shots, right? And I was looking. I, I went Googling and all kinds of things, and I found some – some uh, some sources that, that basically said um, that was like all the footage that they got, uh, which makes no sense because they're on a movie set. You think there'd be cameras rolling all the damn time and we get hours of footage from this. Uh, but from, from everything that I could find uh, via the World Wide Web, it's like, no, the, those those clips that add up to like five minutes is basically all that exists, uh, which is a damn shame because, man, I'd love some more of that. I also love, and I say this every week, but some more just the locker room footage, like the, the scene where it's Michael with the baseball bat smoking a cigar, talking about how he's going to get B.J. Armstrong back in the calmest, most serial killer of voices way. Like, man, that is Michael the psychopath right there if I've ever seen it, right? He's just holding a baseball bat. Like, oh, my God, he's just, just cold-blooded. Like, I, I, I could watch that for hours, like just Michael doing that. Because that, that wasn't the only time. We know that. We know all the stories. Um, but just seeing more of that, oh, boy. It's a little chilling, but, man, is it fascinating. I, I thought the exact same thing. It looked like a scene out of one of the Godfather movies or something like that and had this evil lurking underneath. And it was like, oh, my gosh, this is actually frightening to see Michael Jordan. Like, you could see he was visualizing what he was going to do to B.J. Armstrong and to that Hornets team next time they took the floor. And that was one of the themes, right, was how he would conjure up things, sometimes straight out of his imagination, things that didn't even exist. He would conjure them up as a means to put himself 
in that mode, that exact mode that we saw sitting there in front of his locker, holding the baseball bat. You got Joe's all that I am playing in the background. I was like, okay, this is uh, first off, this is very indicative of the time because of the soundtrack. But at the same time, uh, man, that was chicken skin and almost like, ooh, uh, that could be pretty intimidating uh, for sure. Let's get into some random observations. What were some of the things that stuck out to you uh, from these last two episodes? Yeah, I got a few. I mean, this, I think, is almost the more fun part of the, the pod that we do. It's just the random stuff. Um, one, the, the archived film crew footage, um, especially of that last season, but some of the others, too, where, it's, you know, you get the, the film crew who's more courtside. It's, it's the footage that's not the game broadcast um, footage. Uh, man, is it good. Like, the, the quality of those cameras and the film crews that followed the team around, especially in the last season, compared, you know, to, like, just the NBC footage. There's no knock on NBC. But I mean, it's 1996, 1998, 7, and 8, where, where you're like, eh, yeah, it's, 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 it's not HD, that's for sure. Uh, but then you break out some of that archive film footage. It's like, man, it is good stuff. And just, just the quality of that, uh, especially when you juxtapose it. The uh, couple of the other ones, uh, you mentioned Will Perdue. It's like any time they need a, a little snippet, a little, a little clip of a teammate who's going to provide a little insight on Michael being the jerk teammate, <laughs> it's like they cut to the white guy. So it's Will Perdue, it's Bill Wennington, it's Chud Bussler, who coach to an extent, but it's like they always cut to the big white guy. And I know Judd's more before, but it's like they, they cut to the big white guy and it's like, hey, tell us about Michael being a dick. And it's like, well, here's, here's where Purdue is kind of the lead. And it's like, why is it all? That? Then it'd be J. Armstrong, I guess, would, would kind of fall into that. But it's, it's so funny. Charles Barkley said something funny in a recent interview where he said, hey, look, let's be honest. Um, Mike couldn't be like that to all of his teammates. Like, he had to be selective to a degree. Like, I think it was asked uh, of Charles, would, would you have allowed Michael to act that way towards you? And Charles you know, they were once really good friends and sort of had a, a falling out. And, and it's kind of sad that they're not really friends anymore because Charles said something critical of, of Michael's management uh, in the front office. Charles said, hey, look, let's be honest. Michael was selective in the way he went about that kind of enforcement, we'll call it. He said, look, look, the two guys that he treated the worst, Scott Burrell and Steve Kerr. <laughs> I was like, all right, yeah, that's a decent point. We don't have too much footage of uh, Michael getting in Dennis Rodman's face uh, or at least in that stage of the Bulls dynasty, Scottie Pippen's face. Like, I guess he knew what they were, and they had earned his respect, and that was sort of the point. But that's kind of funny when Charles very simply put it like, yeah, yeah, so all the footage we got of him busting balls was uh, Scott Burrell and uh, Steve Kerr. Uh, a couple other observations I had. George Carl, what are you thinking, man? Say hi to Michael Jordan at the restaurant. He walks by and he ignores him. They have North Carolina roots, uh, at, you know, UNC Tar Heel roots. Uh, and he's just going to diss Michael and just totally inflame the situation. I don't know what he was thinking. And then one of the great signs that I had never seen before until this highlight reel of the Bulls Sonics NBA Finals Series legalized camp in Seattle. Legalized camp. Oh, man, that was fantastic. Another really good Sonics team. Uh, and that mm -hmm. sort of led to another great observation or at least just a, a fun moment in these two episodes was Michael watching the interview of Gary Payton, the glove, saying that he was giving him problems and if he had guarded him early in the series, maybe it would have been a different series. And just laughing, like belly laughing, like LOLing there right in front of the camera 
Uh, I found that to be uh, pretty remarkable. I mean, hey, look, it's MJ. We get it. But that's Gary Payton. Like, he's one of the great ones. He's one of the all-time defensive players, one of the great point guards. And Michael's just laughing out loud at the idea, the suggestion that GP was giving him problems. Yeah, which is, which is Michael, right? And, and, and maybe a little disrespectful. It's not like Gary Payton wasn't good. And it's not like he didn't give Michael a little trouble in some of those games. It wasn't Michael's best NBA finals, that's for sure. But it, it is funny when, when Mike uh, just kind of laughs in the face of one of the, uh, one of the best on-ball defenders we've ever seen in the NBA. I do have one other observation. Our guy, and, and the Hawaii folks will, will recognize the name, and I'm sure a lot of Maui people, but at 31 minutes, about 31 minutes into Episode 7, when Michael's playing baseballs, it's like him in the on-deck circle or in the batter's box or something. And on the top step in the Birmingham Barons dugout is his teammate, former UH pitcher, Joey Fierro, who makes a little, just a little brief cameo there in Episode 7. So uh, we got to give a shout-out to Joey because uh, he was an observation for sure uh, right. and, a, and a little snippet there. Looking ahead, uh, what are you kind of hoping for here as the finale approaches? I'm not really looking forward to anything. I wish this was to keep going. I'm, I'm pretty bummed, to be quite honest, that, that we're here at the end of the road. I'm just kind of curious how the, how the story wraps up, and do we get anything post-1998, uh, you know, and, and how the team basically is done. Like, that's it for the Bulls, um, you know, and, and we know Michael ends up in Washington, and Scotty's got, you know, the third act, if you will, almost to his career, and Phil obviously wins five more titles. But I'm kind of curious what we get after the 98 season is finished. Uh, Jordan, a lot of fun. Looking forward to the next one. Talk to you next time, man. Can't wait. Take it off.